Have you ever wondered how a song is made? How it starts? What happens during the recording process? How does an idea become that beautiful three-minute thing you hear on the radio? My name is Emmeline, and in Journey of a Song, I take you on a tour of a musician's creative process, from the very first notes to the final, fully produced progression. As a singer-songwriter and an independent recording artist, I am intimately familiar with the magic of music creation, but I also know that each song has its own sacred story. Each week, I'll be talking to a different songwriter as they pull back the curtain on a favorite composition, beginning with the acoustic version of the song and ending with the final recorded product. In between, you'll hear a conversation about the inspiration behind the song, the decisions made in the recording booth, and the many ways in which music reflects and informs our emotions and our lives. This week, my guest is the contemplative, insightful singer-songwriter John Mason. A veteran and a native of Oklahoma, John is a member of the Dallas Songwriters Association and a frequent performer in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's played shows at esteemed venues like the Wildflower Festival, Love and War, and Poor David's Pub. Today, we'll be talking about the song that made him a songwriter, The Beautiful California. Welcome back to Journey of a Song. My name is Emmeline, and my guest today is the immensely talented John Mason. John, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I've had the pleasure of watching you perform over and over and over over the years, and I'm so excited because I have always admired your storytelling and your songs, and I'm stoked to talk about that today. But first, our listeners are going to get to hear your beautiful acoustic performance of California. Think 
California They say there's hope for you And the sun always shines I'll live my life In California Maybe there I'll find love It's in California here I come Thank you so much for playing. Thank you. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, we were talking right before we hit record about the importance of letting the last notes ring. And you have that great suspension at the end. Yes, it's important. Absolutely. Was that a conscious choice? Yes. I've had more than one song that where I feel that once you end, you leave your audience with their own thoughts about the song and don't just cut them off and jerk them back to reality, let them, you know, they're, hopefully they're envisioning something while you're playing the song. So once you're finished, you want to let it, let it, let it go, let it go on its own. Yeah, let them Kinda move like on the tree. Oh, I like that. Often the sunset. Yes. That's beautiful. So when you and I talked about having you on the show, you said that there was a special story behind this song. Do you mind sharing that with our listeners? Sure. Uh, well, I, I backdrop here. I come from a little town in Oklahoma called Enid, Oklahoma. It's about uh, about 90 miles northeast of Oklahoma City. It's about 50,000 people in the town. I, I grew up in a small town, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but I, uh, my great grandmother lived also in, in Enid. My grandmother lived in, uh, in Wichita, Kansas. So I didn't get to see my grandmother very much, but she was very influential in both my life and my music life. Um, but uh, my first recollections of my great-grandmother uh, as 
when I was young was she had a wall of pictures uh, of family and there was one picture that uh, struck me as kind of weird because it was a picture of a little girl uh, standing in front of a covered wagon and she had told me that that was her. Uh, she was 13 years old. Uh, it was in, this was in 1889, just before the land rush in Oklahoma, where they, what they, all they did, they all lined up in covered wagons and whatever they had, and buckboards, and had fired a gun, and they all rushed across the, the uh, state line from Kansas into Oklahoma and to uh, grab a stake of land. And they got theirs uh, just outside of Enid, Oklahoma, and uh, they lived there on a farm for, for many years, and eventually she moved into town. My grandmother uh, was born in Enid and uh, raised there until uh, in the, somewhere in the 30s. Uh, she um, left Oklahoma because of the Dust Bowl and moved to California. Uh, she moved uh, to Beverly Hills, actually. Uh, she met my uh, one of my grandfather, <laughs> more than one, uh, met uh, my father's father, and of course she had him, and he was born in Beverly Hills. And uh, I always joke that, uh, that what happened is she moved back from, from California back to Oklahoma to take care of, of her mother, uh, and that's why I was born in Enid and not in Beverly Hills. Um, but uh, that whole concept of leaving your home, and it wasn't just them, it was everyone. They lived on farms. Farms were devastated by the Dust Bowl. Uh, I don't know how my great-grandmother, never, we never really talked about that, I was, guess I was too young, how she managed during that time, but she did. Um, and that just proved the toughness of you know, my, my family, I guess, especially my great-grandmother. Uh, my grandmother, not so much, she moved away to California, but she left California, which I'm sure was much better than Oklahoma, moved back to Oklahoma to, uh, to be with my, my great-grandmother. So that whole story of having to leave your home because it's of devastation and then find another place to live, and then the call was to, to move to California, and the Great of Wrath movie was all about that. And it was good, but maybe not so good as, as the home that you left. So uh, that was the inspiration for the song, and every time I play it, I think about them. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Truth and what story. a I, 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 truth what is a, beautiful. <laughs> absolutely, and what a great tribute to your family. Yeah. To sort of share that snapshot of that moment with the audience in their honor. That's a really cool thing. I it's interesting because I hear a lot of hope in the song. Yeah. There's in the chorus you say, I think there's hope for you. Maybe they're all fine love. Like these are all really positive things. And so it, it feels like a good move, but you share that story and there's a lot of loss in the story that inspired the song. Yes. And it makes the suspension come differently, right? Cause yes. And it's a lot like life. We all go out into the world hoping for the best. And sometimes we leave situations that are, that are not so good in, in, in doing that hope that, that you'll wind up in a better place. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate about your finger work in this song is you don't you don't just roll through regular chords. You've no. got a lot of passing tones and a lot of non-chord tones. Yes. But that, I think hearing that story is really cool for me because for those who are listening who are musicians, you know that the non-chord tones and the passing tones and the stuff that doesn't necessarily fit a major or minor tonality or a major or minor root chord is where the interesting stuff happens. 
that's where the transition happens and it's it's where the music gets a little messy but also really interesting and it sounds like those are intentional musical choices because they sort of illustrate this moment in life where it was a little messy but also where it was about to get interesting is that accurate yes yes i uh i was once a a flamenco guitarist and uh i uh, i learned a lot of chords that that uh, that's a, a common thing in, in spanish music where the uh, major minor come together and i guess i just that that struck me and i've i've played on it many times i'll have a lot of the chords like that so you'll hear that a lot in my music that's awesome and it it does it sort of illustrates the humanity of music because nothing is ever really black and white no and that's that's the beauty of it right yes it is so you were a flamenco guitarist is that how you got started making music no no i started i've been playing music all my life i i can't remember a time i started when i was five on piano uh, i played for four years they thought i was going to be really good at it and my father who was a musician when he was young talked me out of the piano and into the trumpet. So I played trumpet from, from that point on about nine. Uh, and I was, you know, in elementary school band and marching band and did that all the way through high school. Um, and then in high school, in my, in my junior year of high school, of course, during that time, Beatles, music changed during that time in the, in the early 60s. And, um, uh, I had a friend who was uh, who started a band and wanted to know if I wanted to play in his band. Trouble is, I didn't play anything except the trumpet. He said, "Well, uh, that's fine. You can play the trumpet." And so I was, I was in a rock and roll band playing the trumpet, and sometimes I get a lead and I just you know go all over the place. And they thought it was great, and I think, okay, <laughs> did that until uh, I was uh, uh, until uh, I was a senior, and then I started uh, playing bass and. By the time I was midway through my senior year, I had a band and we were playing in, in clubs in my hometown and, and you know surrounding towns and things. Then I had to, uh, I wasn't going to go to school, so I was up subject to the draft. So mm-hmm. I joined the Navy and uh, went to Memphis. And in Memphis, uh, I uh, learned to play guitar with a guy in, in a laundromat at 3 a.m. in the morning when I was supposed to be studying for the courses and the rate that I was in. So finally, I actually flunked out of that school and they sent me to San Diego, California, which is where I wanted to be the whole time. I was hopefully going to California. I probably would have wound up in Spain the other way, which would have been okay too, I guess. But uh, I wound up in California, uh, did three tours in Vietnam, came back, and once I got out, I was a musician full-time. That's what I did. And uh, that, that and a lot of other jobs in between because it didn't always pay the bills. Right. So so you also wound up in California. Yes. But not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> I, sort well, no. got, I sort of got kicked out to California, which is okay. <laughs> but there's the uncertainty, right? I think I'll go to California. I guess yeah. I'll go to California. Yeah. They're going to make me. I suppose I'll wind up in California. Yeah. Oh, and the, the flamenco part is I, while I was there, uh, when I was in, in port, I would play at the Armed Forces YMCA. They had a show, a talent show, sort of, every week, every Saturday. And I became a regular on the show. And there was a young girl there who was a dancer. She was, she was a flamenco dancer. And um, we just sort of uh, became a couple 
over the time that were there. And I eventually, I got really, I don't know, there was some, there must be some Spanish in my blood because the, the music really spoke out to me. Hmm. It still does whenever I hear it. Um, and uh, I began to work towards learning how to play it. And they used guitarists as, as their music to, uh, you know, to dance with. And uh, I took a few lessons in L.A. from a, from a, uh, from a guitarist. And then uh, I joined her dance troupe. I was with her dance troupe for about four years. Hmm. And uh, I was her guitarist. That's so neat. Yeah. So you were able to not only play the music that spoke to you, but you were able to sort of illustrate the movement of her that spoke to you. Yes. Yeah, the, dan- the guitarist always follows the dancer in, in, in flamenco. She stops, I stop. <laughs> well, but that requires you to be really in tune with somebody. Yes. Because you're the voice of her movement. That's correct. How long did you guys play together? Uh, well, I, we, we dated for six years, and uh, four of those six years I was, was her guitarist. That's really neat. And you've maintained those finger-picking patterns. I hear a lot of that in your music. Yeah, that's, that's where I learned that. I, I, well, that's not totally true. The, the guy that taught me how to play guitar. In the laundromat. Yeah, he didn't play guitar. He, he knew the chords and showed me the chords, but he played a five-string banjo. So I learned actually how to pick a guitar, like a banjo, before uh-huh. I ever learned how to strum the guitar. I had to teach myself how to strum the guitar. Uh, so, yeah, that picked that up from there, but it got enhanced when I learned to play play the flamenco strains for for her dancing and just carried it on that's so neat I think that's a really beautiful illustration of how you know we say that we as people are sort of a summation of all of our experiences over time but I think our music is also especially as songwriters sort of an amalgamation of the different musical influences that we've had and the different musical experiences that we've had I think we start to incorporate all of those things in our style right yes yeah that and then after that I played folk music basically uh, you know and I got into the the folk rock sound that was coming out in the uh, in the late 70s the Jim Croce all these these different different artists that were beginning to come out and uh, I learned their music and began to write I didn't start writing until late I didn't wasn't writing when I first started playing guitar it was something that came later and I didn't think I was very good and probably wasn't in the beginning and kept working at it. Well, you and I met, actually, because you're a member of the Dallas Songwriters Association. That's correct. So when did songwriting begin to happen for you? When did you start to put words to music? Well, let's see. Uh, in this whole journey, I took about 20 years off, maybe, where I didn't. I left California. I got this. I was with some bands there, and we did some, some great things, but it just never really got to the level that, that, that we all wanted. Mm-hmm. And I kind of get disillusioned, and I left. I quit playing, uh, moved to uh, to Florida. Florida is where I met my current wife, and uh, when I got a job. They made me a manager, and then they moved me back to Oklahoma, <laughs> where I started. <laughs> and uh, in fact, they moved me to Oklahoma City, and then to Tulsa, and then uh, I got an offer for a, a job down here in, in the Dallas area. And I always kind of wanted to. I always wanted to play Luann's when I was young and in band. You remember the, the club Luann's at all? Mm-hmm. Yes, that, and there was another one. And, and when we, kids in Oklahoma, we're going to get a band and we're going to go down to Dallas and play in Luann's. <laughs> Never fulfilled that dream. It's probably good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um, 
and then they moved me to Dallas. All right, got took this job in Dallas, and I've been here ever since. That's when I began to think about music again. Uh, I I didn't play still. It was a few more years before I played. I think uh, it's only been about eight years now since I started playing again. And really. It was Wife said, "You know, quit hanging around on weekends in your underwear. Go get a guitar and start playing again." And so, so I did, and uh, and I began writing. I wrote some songs back in California, and I've revised some of them. But most of my writing has been within the last eight years. What was the thing that drove you to put a pen to paper? California. That was my my. I didn't write it at first, but it it was my constant thought, I'm going to put this song together. I worked on it for a long time. And uh, in, in the meantime, I also wrote some other songs that I didn't think were quite as great. Uh, and then finally, I finished California. And once that was done, it went into the studio and recorded the recorded version of it, uh, which there's a lot to be done on it. But uh, it uh, yeah, that was begin the beginning of really sitting down and putting pen to paper often. That's really so. This song wasn't just a tribute to your family. It wasn't just telling the story. It was kind of guiding you back. Yes. To where your heart was. Yes. I we talk often on the show about how as musicians, it's it might seem easy to walk away, but music always calls you. Yes. If that's the thing. Stopped. If that's the thing that you're meant to be doing, it doesn't matter if you're walking away from it. There's always something in the back of your mind saying, "Why don't you pick up that guitar again?" Why don't you play again? And you start to feel that separation when you're gone for a long time. I hear it music like... in my head all the time. Really? Even, even during that time I didn't play, I hear music all the time. I've wasted a lot of songs. <laughs> At that time, I never really was sure that I'd ever go back to it again. You know, I wasn't thinking about it, but oh, music just never stops playing in my head. So for you, it sounds like songs usually start with either a melody or they start with a chord progression or they start with maybe a series of notes that you know you can pick out in flamenco style. Uh, no, no, it's a variety. There's sometimes when the lyrics will, will, will jump out at me and I will uh, try to find music to the lyrics. And a lot of times I'll get the music and try to find lyrics to the music, <laughs> which actually seems to be kind of tougher sometimes to, to find a, a thought to, to, the, to the music, because not necessarily, not necessarily having you know, a melody line, it's just I, I have chords and oh, i got to find something to go with these chords. But uh, it varies back and forth. I'm glad you said that. I feel that way as a songwriter. It is much easier for me to start with a story and to build uh, music around that story than it is to like start with a chord progression I like and then suddenly put words to it. Well, you can bend the story. It's harder to bend the music because you've only got so many ways to do that. I'll, like, I'll wind up with instrumentals. Because yeah. I'm like, no, I think, I think the music says everything I have to say. Like, maybe there are no words in this piece. All right. Do you have a couple of things like that that are just instrumental pieces? I have, if you've ever seen me play, I have songs that have instrumental intros that are practically songs. Uh, where my heart wants to go is a, there's a three-minute intro before I even get into the song. Uh, and several other songs where I, you know, that's my classical flamenco roots moving in but yeah, I like that kind of stuff I mean that's I think that also that kind of identifies me as an artist that you know I've got something that you can listen to there's no no words just music 
but as far as just an instrumental alone, some of them, yeah, you could do them alone, I guess. I just kind of fit them to the song. <laughs> You're like, no, the words are coming. Just wait. Yes, yes, they will be here. <laughs> In the meantime, enjoy this. <laughs> For those of you who need that stuff. Exactly. That's so cool. I love how everybody's process is different. And I love, like I said, how everybody's experience informs their process. Right. Because it sounds to me like when you first started, you didn't really need to put pen to paper because you had other people, like you were enhancing other people's stories as a trumpet player in the band. And there would be moments where you got to tell part of your story in the song. Right. Or with your flamenco dancer, you get to illustrate her movement. Yes. That's an experience. I don't know. I don't know that I can explain the oneness of a guitarist and the dancer how that works i mean you have to actually probably do it to, to understand how that feels to have someone's movements guiding you you're not guiding them they're guiding you you, you know you know you've worked on the the, the the routine so you know it's coming but she can stop at any time and she stops you stop that's that's how that works you don't have to get yelled at <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's I, I I wish everyone could experience that. That's just an amazing thing when someone goes through and, and the intensity of a, of a flamenco dancer in the first place. Because that's very intense music, very personal, and the music has to be just as personal as the as the dance. So yeah, so I think it was good for me. Yeah, when I feel like all music, especially good music at its core, is really about connection. Yes whether it be connection between the performers on stage or we talked about it at the beginning, right? Connecting the audience with the music and connecting the audience with themselves, giving them the space either over a three minute intro or over a story that means a lot to you to take them somewhere. And sometimes that's somewhere deeper inside themselves because the story that you tell at the beginning, you know, the see that empty lot, that's where I come from. That's where I learned to walk. That's where I learned to talk. We all have that place mm -hmm. for us that represents our naive, young, idyllic yes. selves. And you know, the end you of our journey. Exactly. The origin story, right? Yes. And you set that up and you end with now it's all gone. And I think that's a universal feeling, that acknowledgement that you have lost something innocent about your beginning, but that you carry it with you. And that that's, you know, ideally, the part that gives you hope as you move forward. So you said something really interesting. You said that this, you, you have a recorded version of this song that people can find on your Reverb Nation page. Yes. And we'll make sure that if they're listening on the radio, that's ReverbNation.com slash John Mason Music. And if they're listening on a podcast, they'll be able to just kind of scroll up and the link will be there and they can click. Okay. But the recorded version that you have, you said you're not done. You said there's still more work to be done. I think so. I think uh, at some point I'd like to go back in the studio and... Uh and re-record it and just add some things to it. Not too much. I don't want to, to clutter it, but I think that I hear things now that I didn't hear before. And I think all musicians do. When you, you see someone who you've, you've listened to their, their CD and then you see them live, a lot of times what you hear live is not going to be the stock version of their recording. They went in the studio, they got it done, but when they play it live, it's not the same. They they put more of themselves. There, you know, there's some feeling in there that you can't get in the recording. And it's the same thing with me. I think there are things in, in that song that I can convey 
that uh, that I wasn't able to the first time around. But I mean, yeah, I, I think it's a good song. But just and I, I I would imagine all musicians are the same way. You know, if they had a chance, oh, I could have done that better. I could have done this. You know. The universal story over the course of recording this podcast has been the song is not done; it was due. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. We're never happy. <laughs> it's not just that we're never happy, though. It's that music is alive and it grows with you. Yes. And true. because it informs our experience, mm. like because our experience informs our music, our music grows with our experience. And that is, I think, you know, it's always changing. And that's why everyone who's listening should go out and see a live show, even if you have the recording, because you're going to get something different and something yes. a little bit. Something more. I, yeah, I was going to say, is it more magical? I would argue that it is. Um, that might just be a year into COVID where I feel about live music as I miss it so much that I have idealized it. But I, I really do. I think that when you see an artist breathe life into their art in front of you, that's a unique experience. Yeah, I agree. That's, you know, you, you can, after you sang a song, you know, 25 times in, in, a, in a studio, to get it right and make sure that everything is, is the way you want it, you kind of lose that emotion. On stage, you've got one shot to co convey that feeling to your audience. And so that's, you gotta shine. And you also have that beautiful moment where you get to see your words play out on someone else's face. Because to your point, you can sing a song 25 times in the studio. You're singing it to the same person. So they have also heard it 25 times. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we need this one note. We need this one line. Right. We need this one take or this one part. But when you play a song live, no matter how many times you've played it, there's someone in the audience who's hearing it for the first time. Correct. And I don't know about you, but for me, that gives a song a lot of newness. Yeah. So you recently got to play live in front of a crowd for the first time since COVID. I did. Did you play this song? I did. Tell me about it. Uh, I got to play uh, at the uh, Dallas Songwriters um, open mic at uh, Love and War. It's on every third Thursday. Uh, it's live. It's Bring Your Own Mic. And uh, I, I haven't been able to, I had different reasons why I couldn't go, for, you know, since I was uh, able to start playing again. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I made a point to go there. I got to see a lot of the people that I do open mics with for the first time, for some of them that had never seen them live. And uh, it was great uh, being able to play to an audience. That's uh, playing, playing to a computer screen, you know, no matter how much you love the people on the other side, it's just not the same as being able to play for them face to face. Absolutely. Yep. So for you, is there still that magical moment at the end of this song? Yes where that suspension lingers and you get to sort of like enjoy for that moment while you're letting the guitar ring, the magnetic connection that you have with the audience. Yep. I usually finish a song and I'm looking out at the audience when it's done to see if, uh, if anybody is connecting, if they understand you know, what I'm conveying. And mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of times I do see that. Sometimes I don't, you know, I mean, not everybody is the same, but uh, that's what I'm looking for. Just one person even, that's enough. That's really beautiful. So when you think about the studio version of this song, do you think about sort of trying to recreate that connection? Yes, yeah. I'm hoping that, that they can still kind of feel the, the, uh, the emotion of that song in, in the studio version. To be perfectly honest, COVID 
kind of, eh. So I can't tell you who whose studio I recorded. <laughs> so it's been a while, too. It was back in 2016, I think, when I recorded it. 15 or 16. Um, and it was a local guy, and he was a really nice, nice guy. We actually recorded uh, three songs or four songs in that studio. Uh, but uh, I don't know how to... <laughs> apologize to him if he hears this that I don't remember who he is maybe he'll call, give me a call and say hey it was me <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, but uh, I have a lot of COVID moments right now so but yeah you know going to the studio has never been a big priority for me playing live has always been what I really what I live for but you know in order to get your music out you get to a mass you have to get in a in a format that you can spread out without trying to be everywhere at the same time yeah is part of your I guess aversion is probably not the right word but is part of your prioritization of live over the studio that it's hard to capture the emotion of that one shot in a studio recording yes I hear I hear often that musicians are either live musicians or they're studio musicians and they can do both but their heart is either in one place or the other I believe that, yeah. Mine, mine is always on stage. Yeah, it's a special place to be. Um, I think it's one thing that we all missed over the course of this time. Yes, yeah. I'm glad it's coming back. I'm looking forward to being able to get back in, get as much done as I can while I can. Absolutely. So for you, that includes this song and going back into the studio. You made some sparse decisions our listeners are going to get to hear the recorded version at the end of this, so they can hear some of the choices you made. But mostly you have just accentuating percussion. Yes. What really shines in this is your guitar and the vocal. Right. The, uh, the percussion, at first I wasn't very fond of it. The more I listen to it, the more I, I understand what my uh, uh, guy that, that did this, uh, had, what he had in mind. And, uh, and uh, I like it. I like it. I think that we could do more with it, though, than, than that. It reminds me of a back porch. Yeah. The percussion sounds are sort of like the sounds of a back porch. Because mm-hmm. they're just sort of ambient nature sounds mimicked by instruments. There's a gourd, I think, and, and there, was, I, there was something else. I don't remember what it was, but it sounded like crickets or something. Yeah, it was like it's the viper stick, right? The one that you hit yeah, and it goes... Probably, yeah, it probably is, yeah. I think that is what it was. And just, you know, yeah. Well, my music probably be, could be considered back porch music. <laughs> well, I feel like that's where you hear family stories. Yeah. Is on the back porch. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's my southern upbringing coming in. No, I think that's true. I mean, uh, even when I was in California, I played a lot of... of of gigs where uh, if, before I got into bands I was playing gigs I was on my own um, and for a while played with uh, had another artist that played with me and uh, and we did a lot of gigs like that where we played small parties backyard parties and things like that you know just any place where we can get a gig but we did a lot of things where you know it was dusk just minimal lighting on us and we were just playing away and people loved it we loved it so yeah, that's kind of part of my roots, I think. Yeah, that you don't need a stage; you just need the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a captive audience. I'll come play at your house, you know. 
<laughs> he said it here, folks. John Mason will come play your house. Out of backyard. <laughs> we should start. We should start doing that. There should. We should take the Poor David's Pub open mic, which happens every Monday, is something of which you have been a regular participant. Yes. In this time, and right when it was in person, you were going, and then when Rob and Linda Case moved it online, you kept taking part. Yes, still do. We should. We should move it to a backyard. I I agree. Let's take it. The Poor David's backyard. Pub open mic backyard tour. <laughs> I've got one. It's not very large, but, you know. Well, we're still in small groups, John. We're still in the small groups phase of opening up. I, I'm ready to, to open that up. So, I, mean, I, I, I don't mind small groups, but I'd like to see more. I think I think we're ready for this. We need this. We need We need music in this country right now, in the world. I don't think it keeps us sane. Yeah, there's something there's something about music, especially in times of strife and conflict. I feel like music starts a conversation rather than ending a conversation. Right. So you as a storyteller, do you think about that? Do you think about the responsibility of bringing people together through music? Is that something that enters your mind in the songwriting process? Yes. Yeah, I think most of most of my music, uh, the, the stuff that I'm writing now, most of it are some form of a love song. It's things that, that hopefully people can relate to other people because we need that right now in the world. Not enough love songs. So you're using your music to put a little bit of love out there? Yes. So hopefully somebody will hear it and, and that'll connect with them and, and someone, that, someone that they love. Yeah. Yeah, we need more time to celebrate that. That was actually the line that stuck out to me most in your chorus is maybe they're all fine love. Mm-hmm. Because there's a hope in there that didn't quite make it into your story, but I think that's one of the things we tell ourselves in difficult moments is that there's going to be love on the other side. Right. You're going to you going to a strange place, especially think about this is in the 1930s, where people went to California and model T's wagons, however they could get there. There, you know, there was no major transportation really. I think there was a train. That's about it. But most of those people couldn't afford to pack up everything they owned and put it on a train. So they packed it up in whatever they had and risked, you know, 1,200 miles of desert and barren and the, and the Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl wasn't just, you know, in the, in the Great Plains. It, it moved over. It was in Colorado. It was in, in Texas. It was in uh, New Mexico. Uh, parts of it were in Arizona. Uh, but, yeah, they, they had all they had, took everything that they could take, and went someplace that was completely unknown to them, with no idea what was going to happen to them when they got there. They risked it all. Do you feel like we have equivalent moments now to what they endured then? Uh, yeah, everything, everything going on in this country and even in the world right now is kind of a, a, a big question mark where we're going to be. And it's been like that. The 2020 was just one big what if. We, no one knew for sure what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to be able to, to beat what we were dealing with. We, there was no escaping it. Not like you could travel from Oklahoma to, to California to escape COVID. It was everywhere. The only, only place you couldn't get it and just straight up. So, um, yeah, I feel like that, that there's a lot of that, and, there's still, and there still is. There's still a lot of unknowns with, uh, with what 
has happened to us and, and a lot of mending of relationships between people, countries. Uh, it's just, you know, there's still some unknowns. Uh, yeah, I think we live like, live like that. We live like that all the time. All, all of life is like that. It's one big unknown. You, you plan for something, but then life comes along and moves in another direction. And so, yeah, everything is, uh, is, is like moving to California back in the 30s. So in this song, California is a beacon of hope. Mm-hmm. It's a place where the world is going to get better. And I think we've, you know, to your point, we've all been looking for that for a while. So what is your California now? Where does the world get better? Uh, well, it's hard to say. Hopefully, uh, like I said, hopefully we, uh, first of all, beat the, uh, the disease that we have been, been fighting now for going, going into our second year. And uh, once that is repair relationships, repair uh, differences between countries, uh, differences between parties, you know that will uh, that will come to an understanding among each other that that's going to take us you know I don't want to say back to where we were but kind of back to where we were prior to this uh, there something in some things not in everything but I mean the world wasn't this much in turmoil as it is now uh, it's gotten worse um, not to say that it was great before but you know, we, we as humans we need to keep moving forward. You know, taking care of one another, and that's you know, and that's pretty much that's pretty much my music. So look at the bright side of, of life, not not dwell on the dark side. Move forward. So it's all sort of about finding California. Yeah, that's what it is. Moving towards the bright side. And keeping that vision in your brain. Yep. You had you had sort of a personal fight with COVID. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got COVID. Uh, late 2020 and and it came to a head on new year's new year's evening uh i uh i wound up in the hospital i was only there for three days i I was lucky i was very fortunate but i i I was in pretty bad shape during that time i I owe it all to the health care workers that took care of me i was at uh, mca hospital Mm. and uh they uh I don't know what they did. It worked a miracle because three days later they had me out of there and, and I was better than I was. <laughs> yeah. Still not the same totally. There's still I still have some issues, but uh, I'm working through them and, and I hope that in time that uh, I'll be at least 80% back. Maybe 85. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to go back though. You, I think yes. yeah. you got to wind up back on the stage. Yes, I got to wind up back home. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, back home was, first. Yeah, back home, and then yeah, back on the stage. So, within, uh, see, when we first, uh, I think it was uh, about three months, I think, after I got back before I got to play again. And then uh, every day is a is a new day. And hopefully, a better one. Yes, hopefully, so we try to make it that way. Yeah, I think. There were a lot of memes at the end of 2020 where people were like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about 2021. I'm going to reserve my judgment until we get there. Yeah. And it sounds like like California, your song, and not the state necessarily, perhaps also the state, but your song has become sort of a metaphor for that moment of change, that moment of this could go one way or the other, but 
maybe the act of hoping that it goes in the right direction puts it in the right direction. And maybe the act of having faith that things get better makes things better. All life is a risk. And uh, and California is is just like that. I mean, people took the risk to to move to an unknown place, hoping for a better life. And uh, we do that every day. Yeah, we definitely do. I am so grateful for your music in the world, and I am so grateful that we have you back in the world. Thank you. Um, and I am grateful for the stories you tell. One of the things that has always struck me about your music is you are, like you said, you are a storyteller first and foremost. There's always a story in the song. And you craft it in such a way that over the course of the song, the audience goes through the journey with you. Hopefully. <laughs> And I, I appreciate you taking us to California. I hope we're all able to have a little bit of that hope in our lives. When you go back into the studio, because now you get to, what are you going to put on it? Uh, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I've, get, I've been given that some thought as to what, uh, what I would like to do. I have a song called Miracles and Fate mm-hmm. that uh, I'm, I think that I'm interested in getting that out first because it also like California is a, a song about uh, hope more, more personal than than just uh, everybody but still applies to, to all people you gonna give us a preview or are you just gonna well, leave us in suspense what, you want me you want me to play it sure I can play a little bit of it yeah or play yeah play a little bit of it okay because, John, you can't just tell us about the song and then leave it. <laughs> well, I could try. <laughs> I was like, I'm sitting there looking at the guitar in your shot. I'm not going to let you do that. <laughs> I, am, I am not going to play the intro because it, it'll take a while. I'll just play the, play the song. Yeah. Well, that's not the right song. I just, I just drifted into another song. COVID moment. You're just giving us a flamingo preview, right? And they leave you in the night I'll 
will be there to hold your hand and give you hope. When miracles and faith go running toward the light, the story of the marriage of them both, well, that's you. That was beautiful, friend. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. I am so grateful that you came on today to join us. What a line. I have loved you just as long as I could breathe. Thank you. You're quite welcome. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to play, we're going to play the unfinished but recorded version of California. But if people want to eventually hear what will become the finished version, if people want to hear miracles and faith when it shows up, uh, the best place for them to do that is Reverb Nation, right? And people can find you at ReverbNation.com slash John, J-O-H-N, Mason, M-A-S-O-N, music. There are a couple other John Masons out there if, they, if, it, if it becomes a problem. Uh, I'm in Grand Prairie. For some reason, that's a buzzword. So I was worried we were about to have a fight on the show. <laughs> there are other John Masons if that becomes a problem. Uh, yeah, well, there's, yeah, there's other John Masons out there. So. Common name, I guess. <laughs> That's fantastic. So John Mason in Grand Prairie, they can find you. And it's John Mason Music. Would you like to introduce your song? Yes. This is uh, California by John Mason. Sequoia's way up high 
They almost touch the sky I swear they'll never die I think I'll go To California They say there's hope for you Where the sun always shines I'll live my life In California Maybe there I'll find love Sing California, here I come much for joining me for this week's episode of journey of a song featuring john mason to learn more about john mason or to hear more of his music visit his reverb nation page at reverbnation.com slash john mason music that's reverbnation.com slash j-o-h-n-m-a-s-o-n music for behind the scenes glimpses and more about journey of a song follow me on instagram at at emmeline music that's at e-m-m-e-l-i-n-e music Don't forget to check out my other podcast, Journey of an Artist, wherever you listen to podcasts. Journey of a Song airs Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep LM Radio, and each episode is available as a podcast the very next day. Discover new music and hear fascinating stories with me, Emmeline, every Friday on your favorite podcast app. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. This is only the beginning, and I don't want you to miss a single minute of these inspiring conversations. If a picture is worth a thousand words... A song is worth a thousand stories.